0: Welcome back to the NatMatSci podcast, brought to you by the National Mathematics and Science College. This is the podcast to let you find out more about NatMatSci by hearing staff and students talking about their experiences here, all unscripted and unplugged, so that you can hear what life is really like at the college. Today, we're talking to Head of Maths, Simon Haynes. And this is a good episode where you're going to hear how maths and English are actually connected, why a maths enthusiast should consider NatMatSci for A-levels, and what the Barber's Paradox is. But you'll have to listen out for that part. However, for now, let's get into this episode right now. Simon, welcome to the NatMatSci podcast, and thank you for being here. How are you today? Thank you very much for having me. I am great
1: today. We've just finished a, a day's teaching. And it's novel to be back in the building again. We've been teaching online for quite a while. So it's great to see all of our students coming back. Mm -hmm. And we're about to go into the weekend. So I'm feeling especially happy. My... uh, my wife and I are on a campaign to complete everything on Netflix, and we're, we're getting pretty close to the end, I think, so another couple of good weekends. Getting to the end
0: of Netflix, I like that.
1: Yeah, okay. the problem is they keep releasing things quicker than we can watch them, so we need to up our game.
0: Okay, well look, in this episode we're going to be hearing all about maths at the college, but before we do that, and just for the sake of people listening, could you just tell us a little bit about your own education, where you grew up, and what your first job was after you left school? interesting questions the first job
1: one is going to be quite surprising i think um okay. so i was i was born in manchester mm-hmm. and i went to university in edinburgh and um my my a-levels were in english language and literature uh, french mathematics and physics wow and that's, a, that's a lot of a levels i couldn't decide what i wanted to do i had this <laughs> this dual brain thing going on I, I really thought i was going to go and be a poet at one point um <laughs> And then ended up being a mathematician, which those two things aren't as far apart as you might think. Hmm. And went to Edinburgh to study pure mathematics and spent four years there. And it was wonderful. Uh, I don't want to say it was the best time of my life because there's a lot of life left and, you know, great things are going to happen. Hmm. But it was a really wonderful time. And university ended. I had no plan whatsoever and Mm -hmm. ended up working as a pastry chef for about five years. Wow, um, okay. Whilst I figured out and decided what I wanted to do with my life. So why pastry chef? Well, I did work as a chef um, throughout university just to make money um, over the summers. Mm-hmm. And that's because I think I have a natural affinity for, for working um, alone. I like to you know, have a problem, think up a solution, and then try and solve it. Mm. And if you're working as a waiter out of the front of house, you don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, so, I wanted to work back of house and and work with with my team of other chefs. But the pastry section allows you to get control over a section more quickly. So if if you learn pastry you can become king of your own pastry dominion quite fast. (laughs) Um, And and then you call the shots and and the chef, you know, the chef can't make the perfect scone, but you can. So you have some kind of power um, at that point. So Mm. I I was attracted to the
0: pastry section. Okay, so what attracted you to the world of teaching in that case? How did you move from one to the other?
1: Well, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but when you, I finished university at the age of 22, and -hmm. for me, it felt a little bit too young. Um, to, to go into teaching of A-level because then mm. some students would be only four years younger than me and I needed a bit more life experience to bring to the table as well I, I felt like I wanted to try you know a couple of things out in the real world and and then go into teaching once I've got
0: a few more battle scars and some stories to tell and what was it about NatMatsai because clearly the, the college itself isn't that old it's it's getting bigger and bigger it's, it's ballooning uh, so what is it about NatMatsai that brought you to it? um it was about five
1: years ago, and I'd been teaching for a few years already, and I had just finished reading a book called Perfect Rigor, and it's a biography of a mathematician from Russia called Grigor Perelman, mm-hmm. and Perelman is quite a character. He, he solved one of the uh, millennium problems for mathematics. Um, if you solve one of those problems, the, the math community will give you a million pounds Gosh. and a fields medal.
0: Wow. And he solved one of these?
1: Well, he solved one. He's the only one to solve one. There were eight, maybe ten. I think Mm -hmm. there were eight problems. Mm -hmm. The only one solved is the Poincaré conjecture by Perelman. Um, And he turned down the money. And he also turned down the Fields Medal. Because, well, it's hard to know why. Because Mm. he doesn't speak about it very much. He's quite an eccentric character. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a fascinating book. And my favorite part of that book was hearing about how he was educated in Russia. And he was taught in the Russian mathematics schools, which at the time were revolutionary and they produced some of the greatest mathematicians of that generation. And the idea behind them just made so much sense to me. And the description the author gave of the atmosphere and the style of learning and the impact that that had on mathematicians from a very early age. Mm -hmm. It made me just wonder, why has this not taken off anywhere else? Why are there no other countries having these specialist mathematics schools? We have conservatoires for music, we've got dance schools for dance, and mathematics is an art. And there should be education opportunities for students at a young age to connect with a whole group of other people who are as enthusiastic about maths as they are. No more than about two days later, I saw an advertisement for the National Mathematics and Science College, and it just clicked. It just made so much sense. I thought that is the right idea, you know, we can create that same kind of atmosphere and that same kind of opportunity uh, right here in the
0: UK. And you mentioned earlier that maths and English aren't actually as far apart as some people might think. Tell me more about why you think that's the case. Well, without straying too far into cliches, maths is a language. And what do we
1: mean by language? We mean a way of describing the reality in which we live. Mm -hmm. And poets try and do that with language and mathematicians try and do that with the, the symbols and conventions that they have. So they're both using symbols to try and create a faithful description of their experience in the world. Um, it's just that in poetry, we allow for metaphor and allegory and we allow falseness, whereas in mathematics, falseness is not permitted. Everything has to adhere to the truth as much as possible to the point where people think maths therefore is uncreative because there's no opportunity for bending the truth. But there are plenty of rules to be broken um, and maths is highly creative.
0: So give me an example of some of these rules that are there to be broken in the world of maths.
1: Well, um, every every generation believes that the, the mathematics that they're using Okay, this isn't fair to previous generations. Everybody knows that the mathematics they're using might one day be proven false. Mm-hmm. Um, but things that we feel very confident about later on when, when more subtle thinkers arise or when generations of mathematicians have had more time to think about and deliberate the foundations mm-hmm. of mathematics, occasionally something comes along and it just rocks the very core of maths. Such as? One of the classic examples is um, the Barber's Paradox, So mathematics rests on the foundation um, of set theory and a set very simply is something that contains other things and that simple idea forms the basis for number, which then forms the basis for geometry and calculus and and all of the mathematics that's built on top of it, it all comes from set theory. And we were very happily using sets to describe numbers and um, along comes the Barber's Paradox. And a mathematician came along and said, what about the set of all sets which do not contain themselves? Okay. Does that set contain itself? And the answer is both yes and no. And it's really hard to figure out why that is a paradox in those words. So there is an analogy, which is really great. Um, It's called the barber paradox. It's the exact same idea. It's just a bit easier to digest. So imagine there is a village. Mm -hmm. And in the village, there is one barber, and the barber has a very specific rule. The barber will only cut the hair of a person who does not cut his own hair. Okay. So the question is, who cuts the barber's hair? Okay. If the barber cuts his own hair, then he cuts his own hair. Therefore, the barber shouldn't cut his hair, but he is the barber. So he must cut his own hair. Hence it being a paradox. It's a paradox. So the barber's hair can't get cut. In fact, the barber can't exist in that scenario. Therefore, there is no barber. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> if there's no barber there's no barber's paradox
1: if there's no barber's paradox there's no problem so we can go back to there not being a paradox but if there's not a paradox then there must be which is again
0: a paradox the a paradox in itself this is an an everlasting paradox
1: yes and you can't get out of it and so the the consequences that the foundation on which set theory was built had to evolve and improve and some would say sidestep around um, this this particular paradox, but there are so many more and every generation more and more get discovered and maths just has to improve or it has to react to new ideas and and new truths that get discovered or invented.
0: Is this one of the reasons why you enjoy teaching maths and being immersed in in this world of maths, given the fact that ignoring COVID, you could be in the pub and have a conversation about this kind of thing, whereas... A lot of people may look at maths from the outside and just think about the things in maths that you learn as opposed to the application of maths in a discussion environment like that
1: yes yeah i would definitely say so i think what can be hard about learning maths at the beginning is that you need to learn the rules first Mm -hmm. before you're allowed to break them Um, and the same is true again with poetry you know you need to learn the rules of grammar If you want to then go and break those rules Mm -hmm. for creative purposes. And it's very much the same with mathematics and the learning of the rules in some ways can be quite dry if it's allowed to be so, Mm -hmm. and it can also be quite um, dissatisfying um, because there's a lot of different ways that applying something in algebra can go wrong. A mistake at the beginning of a question can cause the answer to be incorrect, Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to then go back and pick through your working to find out where the mistake is. So it can be a little bit frustrating when you're first learning these rules. But once you get to the point where you understand them well enough, then you can start breaking them saying, what would happen if this weren't true? And that, what would happen if, that is the essence of, of doing mathematics.
0: So let's imagine that someone who's a teenager is thinking about where to study at college and they're interested in maths. Why should they be considering the college for for studying maths at A-level? Um, there's, there's lots of
1: reasons. Um, maths at the college, it's what we do for fun. So just hmm. like what you said about sitting around in the pub and just having a chat about mathematics, that's very much the atmosphere that we have here. So it's not just all about learning rules. Hmm. In the lessons, outside of the lessons, there's a lot of what would happen if. um, So what would happen if we tried to fit that shape inside that shape? How many ways could that be done? Mm -hmm. And students invent problems all the time, and other students have to try and solve them. Um, Teachers invent problems and leave them up on the whiteboards around the college Mm -hmm. and challenge the students during their free time to come along and try and put up their best solution. And at break times, you're going to find... Groups of students huddled around whatever problem the maths department have put hmm. up um, that day. And it's just a completely different atmosphere to anywhere I've seen before. It feels very like university in the sense that at university, you're intrinsically motivated to study your subject. Nobody tells you that you have to do this amount of work. There's no detention at university. Hmm. You, you do the work because you really want to do the work. And you have that level of maturity and dedication to what you're doing. That's the atmosphere that I feel like we have at the college.
0: Can you give me an example of one of the problems that goes up on the whiteboard?
1: Oh, so a really good one is which number is larger? Is it 100 to the power 99 or 99 to the power 100? So this is 100 multiplied by itself 99 times. Mm -hmm. Is that larger or smaller than 99 multiplied by itself 100 times?
0: And apart from just taking out an iPhone and getting the answer, I guess they try and work this out without using any tools like that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So one of the techniques that we try and get our students to use is the idea of, well, make the problem easier and solve that. And then that Mm -hmm. might inspire you to get the idea of how to solve the harder problem. Hmm. So we might encourage the students to solve nine to the power of 10 and 10 to the power of nine. Instead, And even go back to 2 to the power of 3 and 3 to the power of 2. And is there some kind of pattern or relationship that you can exploit then that would generalize to allow you to solve 99 to the power 100, 100 to the power 99?
0: And are there any ways to solve problems such as proving that 1 is equal to 0 and you know some key fundamentals like that?
1: If you ever see a proof that 1 is equal to 0, then either it's not a proof or mathematics itself is very broken and... <laughs> A lot of things would suddenly stop working. Satellites would fall out of the sky, (laughs) uh, that kind of thing. So there is no proof that one equals zero because one is not zero in Mm -hmm. in the real number system. However, it's really interesting to see supposed proofs that one equals zero, because that Mm -hmm. means that something has gone subtly wrong and it can be really hard to see where something has gone wrong. So these are called spurious proofs. And one of the great problems that we put on the board a couple of weeks ago was using imaginary numbers to spuriously prove that two is equal to zero. Okay. And this got discussion going around the whole college. <laughs> we had ke- chemistry teachers were coming to the math department saying, this is breaking my brain. Could you please explain <laughs> it to me? <laughs> and
0: it was it was so fun. So tell me about how that works about the two being equal to zero, but not equal to zero.
1: Well, the proof itself is, is obviously not a proof. So there's a step in the proof, which is actually quite wrong. And it's connected to the fact that if you take the square root of 4, for example, the answer is 2, because mm-hmm. 2 times 2 is equal to 4. Mm-hmm. However, if you try and think of all of the numbers whose square is 4, mm-hmm. 2 is one of them, but negative 2 is another one.
0: Mm.
1: Because negative mm. 2 times negative 2 also makes 4. Yeah. So the uh, spurious proof that we had was based around that fact. The square root of 4 is not negative 2, the square root of 4 is 2. But it is it is true that negative two is also equal to four Hmm. if you extend that to complex numbers so the square root of negative one is i rather than negative i Mm -hmm. although it could be argued you could define it as negative i if you wanted to Uh, it depends on what you take to be your definition as the square root of negative one Mm -hmm. so it's all based around that idea and if you commit one of these errors on purpose you can end up with the equation at the bottom of your working of two equals zero
0: and that's the that's the spurious part that you're talking about then exactly yes so somewhere in the lines
1: of working we've used the fact that the square root of four is negative two hmm. when it's actually not it,
0: it's defined as two i see yeah so simon we have talked about maths in the college I'd love to know a little bit more about yourself. So what are some of the things you enjoy doing, apart from Netflix, when you're not at college?
1: Apart from Netflix? Is there anything apart from Netflix? (laughs) And maths? (laughs) And maths, yes. We need more maths shows on Netflix. Then I can combine my two loves together and save a lot of time. (laughs) Like The Theory of Everything, maybe? Yes. What a great film. That Mm. is a great film. If you haven't Mm. seen that, go and watch it immediately.
0: It's fantastic. Very good film. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I have quite a few hobbies. Too many. In fact, I don't have time to do all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like building websites. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I'm a little bit obsessed with JavaScript and building little apps and websites. So recently, my, uh, my brother wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons online with his friends, Okay. and there's not any really great way of doing so. So I built them a little website where they can roll dice together. Okay. And keep track of, of their health scores and all of that business. That was very fun. Hmm. I, I like writing in Python as well. Uh, so I like, I like solving problems. There's a few websites where you can solve problems and gain points for your profile um, by writing a piece of Python code. And they're, they're math problems or programming problems. And I am addicted to gaining experience points for my profile on these websites. Hmm. It's a healthy addiction, because you are, after all, using maths and programming to solve problems, which is good for your brain. But yes, the, uh, the dopamine effect is very strong with that one. <laughs> and slightly less technically, if I just need to unwind, I like playing the drums. Okay. Um, I've played the drums since I was about seven years old. And sadly, at the moment, I don't have a kit, because we live in a terraced house. So I play drums on the kitchen table, on the television, wherever I can. I do actually have a Jemby,
0: which is a hand drum. Okay. And on your knees when you're sat on the train or whatever? just Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Um, I have it on good authority that the
1: physics department are buying an electric drum kit soon. Okay, all right. For experimental purposes, but I'm definitely going to make use of that.
0: In the same way that they dropped into your department to find out how two is equal to zero, you could drop into theirs to play the drums. Exactly. Maybe the price of explaining to
1: them why two is not equal to
0: zero would be two (laughs) hours on the drums. So when you're listening to music, which musicians do you appreciate the drumming? I'm thinking people like Sting, where there's often seven beats in the bar, isn't there? And interesting drumming techniques in there. Who do you listen to and appreciate the drumming? That's absolutely true. Yeah, Sting's,
1: Sting's rhythm section is really strong. It's very nice to listen to. Quite a few of the more creative drummers in terms of time signatures come from the world of heavy metal and progressive rock and i'm a huge heavy metal fan okay um which you might not expect for a maths teacher who wanted to be a poet uh listening to system of a down and slayer at the weekend but that's the truth (laughs) by far my favorite drummer is danny carey of a band called tool Mm mm-hmm And his creativity on the drum kit is just immense. And it's Mm. also highly mathematical. He actually begins by mapping out the syllable count of his rhythms and then applies all kinds of lowest common multiple, highest common factor mathematics to try and get the loops of his rhythms to resolve and unresolve (laughs) at different times. Brilliant. And it's just incredible to listen
0: to. The fact that he can do that and make it sound good. Hmm. I just think is is amazing. That's pretty, that is pretty amazing. We need to bring this to a close in a moment, but for anyone who's heard anything about maths or drumming or being a pastry chef, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Definitely through the website. So through the website, you can fill out the form and send it. And if you address it to the mathematics department or indeed the head of maths or just Simon, then it will make its way to me for sure. Also, throughout the summer, we are going to be doing some work on preparation for A-level mathematics courses online. So that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. It will be advertised on the website. And if you're going to be studying A-level maths next year, then you can join a weekly course um, which is going to help you get together all of the fundamental skills that you're going to need. And that will be hosted by myself. And indeed, over the course of the next year, the -hmm. college is going to be releasing a lot more content online, so we've had success doing some webinars during the past year, all about mathematics, uh, biology, and physics and chemistry. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be ramping that up next year because we've got so many ideas and so many exciting bits of maths and science we want to share with everybody. Mm. It seems unfair just to keep that all contained within these four walls. Mm. So if you want to get involved with the college, learn what it's like to be here, just learn some new ideas and get excited about maths and science definitely keep an eye out on our website for those webinars.
0: Simon, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you about maths, great talking to you to find out more about you and to find out more about the college as well. Thanks very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. So that was Simon Haynes, Head of Maths at Natmatsai. Thank you, Simon, for joining us on the podcast in this episode. Don't forget, you can contact the maths department through the website. Just search up the National Mathematics and Science College or even NatMatsai and you should find it. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, then please follow this podcast channel because then it means that when the next episode is released, you should receive a small notification just to let you know that it's there. Each episode, we'll be talking to someone different, which means you'll be able to gain an insight into all parts of college life. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.